The following is a production of Galactic Netcasts. The Sci-Fi Survival Guide could not exist without your help. Please visit www.gncasts.com slash survive. Click on the subscribe links. Maybe take a look around our site and choose to pledge at our Patreon campaign. As little as a dollar a month can help us with our web and our audio hosting. We would appreciate any assistance that you might be able to muster. Welcome to a Sci-Fi Survival Guide Special Edition. One of my favourite podcasts on Galactic Netcasts is the Alien Invasion Podcast. One of the most fascinating stories covered by them over the years has been the UFO story from Rendlesham Forest in the UK. It is with great fortune that your host lives close to this famous location. So, during the month of May, I decided to visit and get a clearer understanding to work out the whys, the hows and the what-ifs. It is understood that almost half of all UFO correspondence directed at the Ministry of Defence relates to the Rendlesham Forest incident. Despite claims of a cover-up, the Ministry of Defence's stance has never wavered. It states, No evidence was found of any threat to the defence of the United Kingdom, and no further investigations were carried out. No further information has come to light which alters our view that the sightings of these lights was of no defence significance. When I visited Rendlesham Forest, I had noticed a couple of key things. Firstly, the mobile device that I was using suffered from apparent battery drain. As I walked around and made my recordings, mild panic set over me that I may not be able to fulfil my own brief and deliver the story at the key locations. It has a very strong atmosphere of the strange. Now, the Rendlesham incident occurred before mobile phone technology was apparent. However, there is no mobile phone signal in the area. 
Now this could be explained by the dense pine forests. And yet, I was perfectly able to receive a satellite navigation signal, a radio signal. It just seems that even though there are mass masts present, that mobile phones, for some reason, are frowned upon. There is plenty of information at the site with regards the incident. It is said a couple of years ago the Forestry Commission was asked to investigate a series of hatches which can only be described as mysterious. These are small brick built with a cover on them. The Forestry Commission used a tow line on one of these hatches with a four-wheel drive car and it revealed a ladder going down. Now they will tell you that these are a drainage system for the airfield. It seems a very elaborate system just to cope with a little bit of water. It is postulated that the twin bases of RAF Woodbridge and Bentwaters are connected by tunnels underneath. That isn't a far out thing to suggest because of these bases are likely to have underground facilities. Possibly to house the nuclear arsenal. At least they would have in the 1980s. You wouldn't keep nuclear weapons on ground level. They would have to be safely stowed somewhere. In 2014, a very interesting story from a communications firm that went up to Bentwaters Airbase they was able to do so because it is now privately owned. Some of the buildings are rented out to non-military companies. One of these companies wanted to have an internet connection. So the communications firm that visited dug down and this telecommunications professional was surprised at what he had seen. He could not explain it, nor could he believe it. He said he had come across some armoured cables two foot down. These were the sort of cables that you would expect to deliver your internet to your main exchange. That shouldn't be too surprising. But these cables were from 1980. And yet, they were at least as advanced as what we have now. You can tell a cable's age simply by how it is wrapped. It has 
identifying markers on it. Take a look. Ask your plumber. Ask your internet service provider. Cables have to be identifiable. You wouldn't want to cut through the wrong one now. So what I wonder is the truth. Personally, I am conflicted about whether this is a military cover-up at a nuclear facility or perhaps something more alarming. I certainly believe that something very strange went on there and I believe that somewhere is the evidence to prove it but that is hidden away. What follows after an advert for the alien invasion is my walk through the forest as I read key points from this famous unidentified flying object encounter. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! No, it's... What is that exactly? You know, Superman is an extraterrestrial, so you may hear us talk about him on the Alien Invasion podcast. Hey, it's Dave Nelson inviting you to join myself, Brad Ludwig, and Anessa Moyens for our weekly discussion about all things not of this earth, whether they be gray or green creatures from fiction, the latest stories from the world of science regarding the real possibility of life out there somewhere, or the claim from somebody saying they're already among us. We'll talk about it. You'll hear three stories from the week's news, a featured sighting, and our entertainment picks or warnings rated on a scale of one to five flying saucers, of course. All of it and more every week on the Alien Invasion Podcast, part of the Galactic Netcast Network of Shows. Find us at gncasts.com aliens or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. So we begin the UFO walk through Rendlesham Forest. And the first thing that you notice is it's quite a densely populated pine forest. As you look around, you can imagine that in December, when the incident happened, there would be no light. So any light in the sky, any light through the trees would be instantly recognisable. After about a 10 minute walk through the fire breaks, you come to the East Gate. It was just after 2am on the morning of the 27th of December 1980 that two US Air Force security police patrolmen saw unusual lights through the trees outside the East Gate to RAF Woodbridge Airfield. Could they have belonged to an aircraft from an unfriendly power? patrolman obtained permission for an on-duty flight chief to leave the airfield and investigate. They were joined by two further United States Air Force personnel, but one of them was ordered to remain on patrol at the East Gate, and so the three went into the forest on foot. After a five minute walk down the access path from the East Gate, 
cross over the road to what is probably the only open surface, open part. One side of the road is the airbase land, which looks all derelict by now. The first sightings from the airbase had been of lights in the sky, a strange glow. As men entered the forest, radio contact with the airbase began to break down, and so one of the search party remained on the edge of the forest to keep contact. Two men therefore continued deep into the forest until they approached the eastern edge. It was here they reported seeing a shape in the clearing. It's worth noting, whilst I'm here, that this is a mobile dead zone. There is no signal. Back in 1980, we didn't have mobile phones. But I think whatever caused the dead zone for conventional radio is still apparent today. clearing towards the edge of the forest, the patrol were to report that they had spotted a conical object about the size of a car floating on beams of light just 12 inches above the ground. There was a mist surrounding it and the craft appeared to be metallic with black markings on one side. They tried to approach the object, it was like walking in slow motion. Suddenly the craft rose rapidly in a flash of light and disappeared. Had the patrolman been spotted? The search party returned to base to report their observations. They wondered if the craft would return. The next day, Air Force personnel searched the area. Some of the trees surrounding the clearing had broken tops and they found three small triangular depressions on the ground, 1.5 inches deep and seven inches wide. Radiation levels were taken. They were 10 times the normal background level. What did all this mean? In the 1980s, the trees around the clearing were tall and mature, rather like the areas that we have just walked through. Since first crossing the forest road, the sector immediately in front has been replanted since a reported incident. However, there are clearings within the recent planting where trees will not grow. Have the strange lights somehow contaminated the area? To the east, across the farmland, is the North Sea coast. In the distance behind the trees, the Orford Lighthouse would have been visible. Was this the beam of light that the patrolman saw? Or really, could it have been something else? The next night, the United States Air Force personnel were better prepared in case the craft returned. They were ready to deploy with Geiger counters, arc lighting and recording equipment. The first reported sighting that night over the open field to the east of the forest was a pillar of yellowish mist, which they seemed to transform itself into a huge eye with a dark centre. Then a craft was spotted and reported to have manoeuvred through the forest towards another point. It had pulsating lights, red on top with blue lights underneath. The patrolman pursued it and reported that it transformed into a pyramid shape, approximately 30 feet across, 20 feet high. After a chase of about an hour, the craft shot skywards, 
Elliptical pieces detached themselves from it, which lingered in the sky approximately for an hour. The craft then disappeared. A short walk away from where the shaft of yellow misty light was seen is a place where the initial search party reported hearing women screaming. Who were these women and where were they? They also reported that animals in a nearby paddock became frenzied. Something had clearly disturbed them. One of the patrolmen involved in the search on the second night was to report that he was unable to move when he first came upon the craft. I could not move. It was dreamlike. I felt slower on that night. Everything was half speed. Something was wrong. Now I'm walking this trail on a beautiful late spring afternoon. All around me is dense, tall woodland. No doubt you can hear other people. No doubt you can hear animals. But this event took place in the cold depths of winter with no natural light. I imagine that this forest takes on a new life, a more scary, sinister life. I wouldn't fancy coming here at night time during the summer but when you add plummeting temperatures and 1980s technology then I can only imagine how scary this place would be I would like to thank the Feslian Studios for providing the backing tracks to these podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and write a review on iTunes, or leave a comment on the episode on Stitcher. You can help Galactic Netcasts pay for our web and audio hosting by supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash galacticnetcasts and pledge as little as a dollar a month. For $3, you will get a newsletter once a month with extra stories relating to all of our podcasts. $5 will get you an extra episode of each of our podcasts available exclusively to our patrons. You can follow us on Twitter, join us on Facebook by searching Galactic Netcasts or clicking the links on our website. You have been listening to a production of Galactic Netcasts. For more about this show and others, go to gncasts.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.